So if you were around uh, last Sunday, on Easter Sunday, at one of the family services, Ollie showed us a picture of a woman. Okay, you remember that, you remember that picture? Um, and, and when we looked at that picture, some people saw a young woman, other people saw an old woman. Some people could see both women. I guess one or two couldn't see either. <laughs> what, what can you see? Maybe you remember the picture from last week. So here's the, here's the old woman. Look, there's her nose there and down and her chin. See that? And there's, here's the young woman. There's her nose there and her eyelashes and here's her chin here. What can you see? I, I found another one in the week. This one's a bit easier. What can you see? What can you see? You can see a, a duck and a rabbit. So most people see both of those. Can you see both of those? Yeah, that's, that's very good. Anyone not see either? Because we have an optician in the, in the congregation, so you know, we can fix up an appointment, I'm, I'm sure. Um, <clears throat> I guess the lesson is that things are not always what they seem, are they? Um, which, of course, when it comes to kind of optical illusions like, like this, it doesn't really matter very much, does it? It's not important when you look at that picture whether you can only see a rabbit or whether you only see a duck or, or whether you see it for what it really is, which is a kind of a rabbity duck thing. It doesn't really matter, does it? It's just a game. But when it comes to seeing Jesus for who he really is, well, that is a whole other matter, isn't it? Because when it comes to Jesus, we need to see him for who he is, precisely because of who he is. Uh, We've been discovering, haven't we, through chapters 5 to 8 so far of of John, we've been discovering who Jesus is. He's been telling us, hasn't he, Uh, um, that he has come from God, he's returning to God, he speaks on behalf of God because he's one with God and equal to God, and, and he's the one who provides God's rescue coming, uh, he says, to bring life in him, Mm, but also judgment from him as well. Uh, But in addition to showing us who he is, John has been showing us how the Jews are reacting to him, hasn't he? And actually, we've seen the, the response to Jesus has been pretty hostile, hasn't it? Despite their, uh, despite their outward religiosity, Jesus has exposed the hearts of the Jewish leaders who are rejecting him, exposing the fact that they're, they're hard-hearted towards him and their rejection of him shows up, uh, Jesus says, that they're, they're worldly and ignorant, chapter 8, that they're unable to reach eternal life and, and, and face dying in their sin as, as he says, children of the devil rather than children of God. Chapter 8 was a devastating assessment wasn't it, of people who think that they are God's people, but are in fact not. Uh, They're rebels in need of rescue. Uh, Of course, Jesus has also been holding out life to them in in him, hasn't he? Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life, chapter 6. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life, chapter 8. In other words, To have life, people must acknowledge Jesus as the Christ and turn to him in repentance and trust. But they won't, will they? They just don't see it. And and it's not because of the evidence, is it? There's been plenty of that we've seen. It's because, Jesus says, of the, the sinful state of their hearts. 
So if people have to come to Jesus if they are to have life, if they have to see who he is and what he's done and and humble themselves and acknowledge him as the Christ in, in repentance and trust, but not even God's historic people, the Jews, seem to be able to do that. They just keep rejecting him. Well, how will anyone be able to truly see Jesus for who he is and what he's done? How will anyone do it? That's the question that kind of gets answered in chapters 9 and 10 of of John. How does someone come to see Jesus for who he is and what he's done? We're going to try and unpack that over the next couple of weeks, actually, in chapters 9 and 10. And as we kick off in chapter 9 this morning, you'll notice that the chapter begins with another sign doesn't it? Another miracle that Jesus performs. If, if you've been following through uh, John as we've gone through it, you'll know that he structured actually the whole of his gospel around various signs that Jesus does to point to who he is. And, and John has recorded these signs that Jesus did. Uh, so, so we're told in chapter 20, verse 21, so that we might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing have life. In his name. And, and here in chapter 9, there's another one, another of these signs. As a man who was born blind receives his sight from Jesus. So, so it's another sign to point to who Jesus is, but, but not only through the power of the sign, not, not only because it shows us that Jesus does what only God can do, but also through the performing of the sign, which Jesus himself says, as, as we'll see, is to teach us an important spiritual truth about himself. So um, in, in the Old Testament, the whole idea of blindness is used as a, as a metaphor to illustrate spiritual blindness, uh, refusing to, to see, uh, to acknowledge God. And and so rebelling against him instead. So, for example, Isaiah 42 says about uh, God's Old Testament people, uh, Israel, Isaiah says, Hear you deaf and look you blind that you may see. He sees many things but doesn't observe them. His ears are open but he doesn't hear. Do, do, Do you see the metaphor? And and, and Isaiah also indicates that this, this blindness will be put right when God's Messiah comes to bring rescue to them. So Isaiah 35, for example, then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Do you you see? And so Jesus here in in John 9, he picks up that, that Old Testament imagery and he says about himself at the end of the chapter, look at verse 39 of John 9. Jesus said, for judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see and that those who see may become blind. In other words, Jesus is saying, I'm the fulfillment of all that Old Testament metaphor. This this healing of a man born blind, in other words, is to be an illustration of what Jesus, the Messiah, has come to do spiritually. And one of the things he does, verse 39, one of the things he's come to do is to give sight to the spiritually blind. That's as people put their trust in him. I came into the world that those who do not see may see. 
But the other thing he does as part of his, his judgment, verse 39, is to render blind those who see or, or those who think they see. In other words, those who in, in their pride, in their hard-heartedness, think that they don't need Jesus, that they've got enough sight uh, uh, of, 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 themse- of, the, of their own and, and so can reject Jesus. We don't need you. So that's the spiritual truth that Jesus illustrates with the sign. And, and, and we'll see this in verses 1 to 7, look. So, so uh, let's have a look at those verses first, and, which is really about the sign and its purpose. So look, verse 1, uh, Jesus uh, passed by, as he passed by, so as he walks along the road, he meets a man who has been blind from birth. Verse 8 calls him a beggar, so I guess this is how Jesus came across him as he, as he passed by, as he walked along the road. He's begging for money at the side of the road. Um, Jesus' disciples look, verse 2, ask him why the man has been born blind. Was it because he sinned or was it because his parents sinned? So it was a very popular assumption um, in in Jesus' time that someone suffering must be directly as a result of them or someone close to them having sort of deserved it in some way by having done something wrong. Um, actually, we, we often make the same kind of assumption in today's culture as well, don't we? We, we? You know, tragedy strikes and we say something like, why me? You know, what did I do to deserve this? Um, and of course, sometimes suffering is as a direct result of something that we do. So, um, you know, if we, if we drink a lot of alcohol, we shouldn't be surprised if we get liver trouble, <laughs> Or, or if we sleep around, we shouldn't be surprised if we get a, an STD or whatever. But actually, most of the time, the Bible makes it clear that suffering is not as a direct result of something we've done, but rather it's the result of, of the sad fact that, that uh, the world is broken as a result of sin. Our world is broken because humanity is in rebellion against its creator. In other words, suffering is the sad reality of living in a world that we collectively have broken because of our sin. But individual suffering is not usually tied specifically to any particular sin that we've done. And so Jesus says in verse 3, This man's blindness has not come from his sin or the sin of his parents, but rather that the works of God might be displayed in him or made visible in him. Do you see? He's saying that this man was born blind so that Jesus could display through him God's work, what God does. And, And as we'll see, that work is not so much to bring physical sight to the physically blind, but to bring spiritual sight to the spiritually blind. In other words, to bring people to believe in him. So so verse 4, we must work the works of him who sent me while it's day, that is, while while he's still alive on, on earth. Why? Because night is coming when no one can work, so he's shortly going to go to the cross and and face death. But as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. That's who he is. He's the light of the world, the one who gives sight to the spiritually blind and the one who blinds those who consider themselves sighted as they are. So so picking up on on this Old Testament imagery of, of sight and blindness, Jesus shows his disciples in advance what the healing is really all about and then he heals the man physically, verse uh, 6. 
Um, Having said these things, he spat on the ground, made mud with the saliva, anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. So he's healed the man. The man can now physically see, and, and how awesome that must have been, having been blind from birth. Um, but but we've, we've seen that what Jesus does physically here is to be an illustration of what Jesus has come to do spiritually. And, and so what John does, really, in, in most of the rest of the, the chapter, is to show us the different responses to Jesus' sign, and, and then Jesus' explanation about what those responses show about what's happening to those people spiritually, what's going on with them spiritually. So have a look at the different responses to Jesus' sign. This is kind of from verse 8 through to sort of verse 38 around there. And there are are two main sets of people and and their responses that that I'd love us to to notice. So what we'll do is kind of uh, two high-level passes, two sweeps uh, over these verses. And on the first sweep, let's, let's have a look at the response of the man born blind, see what his response is. Uh, and then we'll go back and we'll do a second sweep and, and focus this time on, on the, the response of the religious leaders, the, the Pharisees uh, or the Jews. So as we, let's do the first sweep first. And notice, notice not only the response of the man himself, but actually it's quite instructive to notice the response of his neighbours. Did you spot that in verse 8? Because they are gobsmacked, aren't they? Have a look at verse 8. The neighbours and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, it is he. Others said, no, but but he is like him. And he kept saying, I am the man. (laughs) They're they're, they're flabbergasted, aren't they? They're they're standing, standing in front of them is the blind beggar that they know so well only now he can clearly see. And, and it's important that we grasp here, friends, that this is real eyewitness evidence that Jesus did actually heal this man. Because, friends, you get loads of claims kicking around, don't you, for miraculous healings taking place. You know, magazines you pick up in the doctor's waiting room, stories of a faith healer somewhere, dodgy Christian TV channels, that, those kind of places. But then, you know, you, tr- you try and track down the person who's been healed or you ask around about them and kind of hard facts seem a little bit sketchy and eyewitnesses seem to evaporate. That is not what's going on here. Here are people who know this man well. They're his neighbours. They know he's been blind from birth. But they've no doubt seen him for years doing his begging on the streets. And now they are so staggered because he's standing in front of them, actually able to see. Indeed, some of them are so staggered that he can see that they prefer to think that the blind neighbour they knew so well has kind of mysteriously disappeared somewhere. And and the guy standing in front of him must be some long lost twin or something, you know, who looks just the same and and claims to be him. But it can't possibly be, can it? Because this guy can see. (laughs) You know, it's a bit comical, really. So once again in this book, there is no lack of evidence, is there? Jesus claims to be God, and he does what only God can do, and there is clear eyewitness evidence from his neighbours. But the key thing I want us to see here is what the blind man himself actually sees about Jesus. 
Now, obviously, the story starts with the man trusting Jesus in his difficulty, doesn't it? The man's been blind from birth. I'm sure he had no expectation of ever being able to see again. But there is something about Jesus, isn't there, that causes him to trust him, right? To let him put a mud pack on his eyes and then go and wash it off in the, in the pool of Siloam. You might have expected the man to tell Jesus, don't be so stupid, Jesus. I've been blind from birth. But he doesn't, does he? He trusts Jesus to the point that he obeys what Jesus says. He trusts Jesus' word. And and sure enough, as he responded in trust and obedience to Jesus, he comes back healed. But notice that at this stage, verse 11, he still sees Jesus as simply a man, doesn't he? Have a look at uh, verse 10. So they said to him, Then how were your eyes opened? He answered, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to the pool and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. So he's amazed at what Jesus has done, but he hasn't fully grasped who Jesus is yet, has he? But nevertheless, in in the midst of his trouble, he takes Jesus at his word. He trusts him and we'll see, well, we do see, don't we, that his trust is well placed. But as the story develops, we find that the man's spiritual sight develops as well. So have a look at verse 17, uh, for example, where the Pharisees are interviewing him and they're kind of pressing him a bit further about who he thinks uh, Jesus is. Uh, And what does he say? Verse 17, uh, they said to him, uh, again to the blind man, what do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? He said, he is a prophet. So so from initially just referring to him as simply a man, he now sees that Jesus, well, he must be more than that. And so he assumes at this stage that he must be a prophet. So he's starting to see Jesus a bit more clearly, isn't he? But of course, the controversy lingers on such that the religious leaders call the man back for a second interview. Look, verse 24, where they accuse Jesus of being a sinner because he's healing on the Sabbath again. Um, and, and how does the once blind man respond? Well, look at what he says in verse 25. He says, whether, this, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. It's actually a brilliant response, isn't it? He, he effectively says, you know, I'm no theologian, guys. I'll leave you lot to prattle on about that stuff. But be in no doubt, I was blind and now I see. And that leads him on to conclude, look, verse 32. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. Do do, do you see the point? No one in history has done what this guy just did to me. People just can't. So this guy simply must be from God. He's insistent, isn't he? The Pharisees are clearly hostile towards Jesus. They want to find ways to discredit or or dismiss what what Jesus has done. But the man stands up for Jesus, actually, doesn't he, in in the face of their hostility. And it costs him, doesn't it? Did you see that in verse 34? They get angry with him for not backing down about Jesus. They, They accuse him of being born in utter sin because he dared to lecture them. And they throw him out of the synagogue, which is a massive deal. 
You know, it would have meant huge social isolation for the man as well. To be cast out of the synagogue was to effectively be cast out of Jewish society. It was to be an outsider. He paid the price of, of, of standing up for Jesus. But look where it leads, verse 35, Jesus seeks out this man who has taken a stand for him despite the hostility and having found him he says, do you believe, do you, in other words, do you, do you place your trust in the Son of Man? And do you remember that title? The Son of Man used in the Old Testament as a title for God's Messiah, God's promised King who's come to rule and, and to judge. We've seen Jesus use it a few times, haven't we, in John, about himself. And he uses it again here. And he asks the man, do you believe? Will you trust in the Son of Man? And and, and the guy replies effectively, well, sir, please tell me who the Son of Man is so that I can believe in him. So he clearly wants to believe. And so Jesus does tell him, verse 37. He says, it's me. It's he who is speaking to you. And, and, And that man's instant response is, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Do you you see what happened? This once blind man has not only been brought to physical sight by Jesus, but way more importantly, Jesus has brought him to spiritual sight. He's brought him from the person in verse 11 who sees Jesus simply as a man to the person here who now sees that Jesus is the Christ. He's the promised son of man. The one who's come to, to, to bring life and to judge. and He believes and, and he worships. So in, in our first uh, sweep through these verses, we see Jesus doing much more than giving physical sight to the physically blind, don't we? What we see is that Jesus is the one who gives spiritual sight to the spiritually blind blind. Jesus does it. This man is brought by Jesus to growing sight and growing trust in him. So let's do a second sweep through the the same verses and and let's look this time at the response of the religious leaders because the, the contrast could not be more stark. Um, So go back to verse 16, their first interview with the once blind man. He's explained to them uh, how Jesus has healed him. Um, And their initial response, by some of them at least, is one of scepticism really, isn't it? This man is not from God, verse 16, for he doesn't keep the Sabbath. right? And it's, it's not the case that Jesus is breaking any Old Testament law here. But the Jews, um, you, you probably know this, the Jews had a ton of other laws, the oral law, um, which stipulated, frankly, all sorts of crazy stuff, including forbidding healing type activities on the Sabbath unless it was to save someone's life. And, and also, bizarrely, forbidding kneading on the Sabbath, which, which they might have thought Jesus was effectively doing by placing mud packs on the man's eyes. But, but in any case, I, I, I think by Jesus doing this on a Sabbath and provoking the religious leaders, he, he's telling them again who he is, isn't he? He's the Lord of the Sabbath. He invented the Sabbath. He doesn't answer to them about what's appropriate Sabbath activity. He, he answers to his father. But what it shows up, of course, it is, the, is the, the sceptical, the, the hard-heartedness of the Pharisees. 
doesn't it? They care more about their rules being broken than they do about Jesus' claims or, or the fact that this man has been healed. And, and so their response is to say that Jesus is not from God, verse 16. And in order to rubbish Jesus, they actually deny that the man had ever been blind. Did you spot that in verse 18? And not only that, but so hostile are they towards Jesus that when they interview the man's parents, who, who do confirm that their son was indeed born blind from birth, they were reluctant, his parents were reluctant to say any more for fear of being thrown out of the temple. So there's a sceptical response, there's hostility towards Jesus, and that escalates, look, in, in verse 24, that escalates into rejection of him. Uh, have a look at verse 24 there. So for a second time they called the man who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. Do you see, despite the evidence, they will not see Jesus for who he is and they want to rubbish him and discredit him as a, a sinner. And when the once blind man insists that it was Jesus who healed him, they reply, verse 28, by reviling him. That means they, they insulted him. They, they wouldn't accept his evidence and they end up throwing him out of the synagogue in, in verse 34. So, so in contrast to the response of the once blind man, the Pharisee's response is one of scepticism. Isn't it? It's a refusal to believe the facts. It's outright, that escalates into outright hostility and rejection, both of Jesus himself and of those who stand up for Jesus. Can you see the picture? Jesus had said, chapter 8, verse 12, and, and again here, chapter 9, verse 5, Jesus had said, I am the light of the world. He's the one that God promised he would send. Back in the Old Testament, Isaiah 42, verse 7, to open the eyes that are blind and from the prison, those who sit in darkness. That's who he is. And that's exactly what we see Jesus doing here, isn't it? He restores physical sight to the physically blind as a sign of what he has come to do in the spiritual realm, which is to bring spiritual sight to the spiritually blind. And also bringing spiritual blindness to those who are arrogant enough and hard-hearted enough to think that they have spiritual sight without Jesus. And that's what we see happening with these two groups of people, isn't it? We've got the man born blind who has not only been given physical sight, but he's been given spiritual sight by Jesus. He's heard and obeyed Jesus' word. He's been willing to stand up for him because of what he knows about Jesus. He's willing to place his trust in him as God's promised king and turn and worship him as Lord and Saviour. So he's a picture of someone brought to sight, spiritual sight by the Lord Jesus. Which is very different from what's been happening with the Pharisees, with this other group of people, isn't it? Who, because of their hard hearts because of their proud rejection of Jesus, they're not brought to increasing sight by him, are they? But rather to increasing blindness. They're blinded from seeing the evidence properly. They become increasingly, as the, as the narrative goes on, they become increasingly blinkered and sceptical and hostile and rejecting 
of Jesus. So what you've got in these two groups of people is on one hand a person who is blind to whom Jesus gives sight. And on the other hand, people who think they can see whom Jesus renders blind. And that's exactly what he says he's come to do. In verse 39, for judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see. And those who see, think they see, may become blind. Do you see what's going on? Uh, verses 39 to 41 at the end act as a, a bit of a summary, really, of, of what, the, what the chapter's all about. Jesus has come as the light of the world to give sight to those who know that they're spiritually blind without him, but to those who think they can see, who think they're fine as they are and have got no need of Jesus and, and stubbornly refuse to accept the gift of sight and, and forgiveness and, uh, as they make him their rescuer and ruler. Well, they are the blind ones. And all they will get for rejecting Jesus is further blindness. And as Jesus utters those words, the Pharisees see only too well that he's alluding to them. Verse 40, you see that? They're affronted. What, are we also blind? And Jesus says, verse 41, if you were blind, if you were actually blind, if you knew you were blind such that you reached out for me to have spiritual sight, well, then you would not be guilty. Your, your guilt would be removed. But now that you say, oh, we can see, we're fine as we are, we've got no need for you, Jesus, your guilt remains. Do, do, do you see his point? If you're not a Christian yet this morning, maybe you've been here over these these few weeks as we've gone through these chapters and, and you've seen how even the leaders of God's historic people, the Jews, are shown up by Jesus not to be genuine believers. Maybe you've seen they're unable to see who Jesus really is and so they respond to him with hostility and, and rejection and hard hearts that, that think they're okay as they are. And Jesus says that that rejection of them leaves them facing God's judgment as slaves to sin. And so maybe we think, well, if, if this is how even they respond to Jesus, how can anyone, how can I come to see him for who he is and what he's done? Well, Jesus' answer to that question here is to show us again that he is the Messiah. He is God's rescuing king. As he does what only God can do. And that he is the one who gives sight to the blind. Who opens blind eyes. Because he is the light of the world. And friend, the only qualification required for you to receive that sight. Is that you do what the blind man here did. And recognise that you're spiritually blind without Jesus. That you are not okay as you are. That your sin places you in desperate need of rescue and that Jesus is your only hope. And so turn to him as your saviour and your Lord. Don't resist him, don't push him away, but act in accordance with the evidence. See him for who he is, hear his word, turn to him and trust him to be your rescuer and your ruler. That's all you need to do. And friend, if you're a Christian already, well, this is Jesus' explanation of what's been happening in these chapters, isn't it? And the message here is clear. Jesus is the one who opens blind eyes. 
So that could lead us to praise and thanks, couldn't it? That he's opened your blind eyes if you're a Christian this morning. But would it also, would you also let it lead you to great confidence and peace as you witness for him in your daily life? That although it's us who are called to share Christ, and it is us who are called to do that, yet it is Christ himself who opens blind eyes. It's his work. Only he can do it. But he will do it because he is the light of the world. Shall we pray? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much uh, this morning for showing us once again in in this chapter that, that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the rescuer and the ruler that you promised to send, the one that we need so much. Um, Thank you for showing us too that for someone to see him rightly, it needs Jesus himself to open blind eyes. And that this is what it means for him to be the light of the world, giving sight to those who know they are blind. And also blinding those who think in in our sinful self-sufficiency, we can see as we are and have no need of rescue. So, Father, please would you help each of us to respond rightly to Jesus for ourselves and and let this truth lead us to to grateful praise um, and and to to confident, Christ-dependent, prayerful witness. And these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.